Net Zero podcast is brought to you in association with ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast and is the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reduction targets. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. everyone and welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, our spin-off series focusing on the growing need for corporates to align their strategies to climate science by setting net zero emissions targets. You're listening to ED's content editor Matt Mace stepping in for Sarah George who along with a lot of Faversham House staff has been placed on temporary furlough uh, but we are hoping that Sarah will be back in uh, in a month or so, uh, back uh, on the podcast and back on the site in full force. And despite these disruptive times, uh, the show very much goes on for ED, and that includes our net zero coverage. Uh, in fact, we at ED are keen to outline that sustainable business has not stopped in the wake of the coronavirus outbreak, and we're going to outline how through our podcast, webinars, and online content. So if you don't know the drill by now, uh, each of our Net Zero Business episodes features one in-depth interview with a business that has set such a strategy in recent times. Uh, In the first two episodes, uh, which are available on iTunes and Spotify, spoken to the National Trust and Facilities Management firm Mighty, so a nice uh, mix of organisations already. But since those two episodes, the world has turned inside out and the pandemic has changed day-to-day life as we know it. And amidst all that uncertainty and disruption, many businesses, refreshingly, are still accelerating community outreach uh, and indeed up in their sustainability agendas. Uh, And for this episode, we're going to be hearing from one of the organisations that has done just that. And we're going to be focusing in the built environment. UK engineering firm Borough Happold operates in 23 locations globally uh, and has committed to a net zero carbon goal for its own business operations by 2020. One, So that's not far away at all, and there's quite a lot of uncertainty between now and that end date, so it's uh, it's a very interesting time to speak to the organisation with um, the coronavirus kind of hanging as a cloud in terms of will, will sustainability fall back as a result? That's one of the things we want to find out. Uh, and Borough Happold's ambition also features a unique commitment to ensuring that all new build projects uh, that it works on must be net zero carbon in operation by 2030. Duncan Price is the Director of Sustainability at Borough Happold, the consulting and engineering firm. Uh, Duncan, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I, I suppose a good place uh, to start with, with any of these conversations now, is is one, how are you? And, and two, where are you? Uh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Um, where am I? I'm working from home, as are most people. Um, so if you hear a bit of construction noise from my neighbour next door, uh, you'll understand why. Um, He's promised me he's going to stop the banging between 4 and 4.30, so I'm very much hopeful that um, that will uh, happen for me. Um, but I guess it's a sign of the times, isn't it? We've got 1,800 people around the world in 23 offices all working remotely. Um, so, you know, we're all getting used to the, the new way of doing things. That's um, that's hugely challenging, I imagine, although I've, I found so far everyone I've spoken to has kind of adjusted to this more virtual way of engagement quite seamlessly um 
<clears throat> has has the lockdown impacted you and your team's ability to to kind of uh, engage with the rest of the organisation on, on sustainability matters? I, I think it's been pretty seamless, actually. We've already invested heavily in Skype and Teams and added a bit of Zoom, and we've kind of got the set. Um, so we, we've already, um, we're already used to using remote um, video conferencing, telecommunications, and that's been embedded within the culture and the ways of doing things. So that's actually been really uh, enormously beneficial. I think probably two days before lockdown really hit in the UK, we actually did a test drive of our whole Bath office, which is a couple of hundred people, maybe 400 people. And uh, it all worked really well. The VPN worked well. Everybody understood what they're doing. So it's, um, it's been pretty effective. And we found in a funny kind of way, you're connected more because you're uh, you're probably making a bit of extra effort and the boundaries of teams and offices just disappear. So you have the, the obvious time zone differences between UK and US or China, but notwithstanding that, people take the extra effort to connect, I think. Um, maybe what we miss is a little bit of those um, you know, incidental chats on the stairs and getting up and walking around, but we're doing all the usual social activities, the daily stand-up and... Um, kind of office pub and all those good things. Yeah, so, so, so far, so, so good. Great stuff. And, and obviously this is going to shape up as quite a, a, a busy year for, for you guys. Um, so obviously this is the Net Zero Business Podcast and, and very happy old, I believe you're aiming to become Net Zero Com for your own business operations, uh, according to your sustainability report, by the end of the financial year ending April 2021. Um, so, you know, a year a year out from, from now, is, is this going to cause some disruptions to, to that target? I, I don't think so. If anything, it's just highlighted the opportunities to do things a little bit differently. And I don't mean that in a crass way, but... When you've shut down all your offices and you've dramatically reduced your business travel, including your flying, which I think was about 54% of our carbon footprint last year, we realised that there are different ways of doing things. So it's trying to learn from the best of that, of what you might want to do differently in the future. Um, as you said, we set the target for uh, to, to achieve that by April 2021, which is the end of our coming financial year. And we set that target because it was close enough to be meaningful and to maintain momentum, but further, far enough out that we could do it properly. And we were really conscious of that as, uh, as essentially an engineering-based advisory and consulting firm. We really respect evidence in doing things properly and um, looking beyond the rhetoric. And we wanted to make sure that we properly embedded a um, a hierarchy of, uh, of approach following UK GBC and World GBC net zero carbon framework. And and also it's really important to bring the practice with, with you. You know, it's so easy just to declare these targets and then there's a cognitive distance between what people say and what they feel day to day. So it's really important for us that we actually use this as an opportunity to drive change throughout the whole practice. And um, this is the, the balance point that we struck. No, that's a, that's a really good point. I think when sustainability is so long term, there can almost be this uh, danger, probably not amongst sustainability professionals, but amongst perhaps um, other areas of staff, that because it's so long term, you think that you can kind of almost park that target and then come back to it in a year or two. But um, I think with such a short deadline, that's meant that you've probably had to really ramp up action against that target from, from the outset. That's right. It's important to us to be walking the talk as well. We spend a lot of that time with our clients advising them on how to get to net zero by 2030 for new build projects or 2050 for, for cities or existing buildings. 
and many of them are on the same journey. So it's actually helpful for us to be at the leading edge of that pack. Um, in fact, I just got off a, a, a web call with a whole bunch of signatories of the World GBC Net Zero Carbon Buildings Commitment that UK Green Building Council organised of, I think it's 12 signatories, including some other consultants and clients and contractors um, and other advisors. And it's good to be part of a leading pack swapping notes on an open source basis because I think that helps to drive change across the whole industry. Yeah, I want to I want to touch on, on the UK GBC and, and the wider industry because, I mean, maybe it's just because I've been able to get closer to them as an organisation, but, but the built environment seems one of the more kind of holistically collaborative um, sectors when it does come to, to net zero and, and emissions reduction. But, but I, I think uh, I'm conscious that I want to kind of do get stuck into to Borough Happel's own, um, own uh, net zero strategy. Um, so, in terms of reaching uh, net zero by by April twenty twenty one, what what are the key areas of impacts? What are the key kind of um, mechanisms that are being introduced to to be able to hit that goal? So, what what I'd say is, first of all, our target covers our scope one and two emissions, mm. but also our scope three business travel because it felt important to us to look at that too because that's a, it's a very important part of our footprint and it's it's material. Um, we, last October, we produced our global sustainability report that set out how we intended to meet that. And there were essentially um, six strands, key strands to it. One was looking at uh, a firm's um, practice footprint, another round of projects, uh, our people, our services, our network, and then our kind of internal governance. And we set up a climate leadership group. Uh, with broad representation from across the practice, reporting directly into the CEO and the CFO. And then for our footprint practice itself, we've established a hierarchy approach, which follows the World GBC Net Zero Carbon Framework. So the first step is to establish a robust baseline, including gathering reliable data from across all our global offices. So we've got fantastic data for the UK. Um, most of our offices have got some good data, but there's, it's a bit patchy in some jurisdictions where it's quite hard to find relevant data. Um, and then it's about identifying opportunities for energy savings within our own offices. Again, we've got a, a patchwork, as have most companies, I'm sure, of some offices that we have more control over, some that are on short-term lets, others we, we have you know, full repair and short lease effectively. Um, so that, that baseline is important. In the UK, we've done a lot of energy auditing through ESOS, which set us up really well to identify opportunities to put in LED lighting. We're looking at switching gas boilers for heat pumps. We, um, we put in mechanical vent with heat recovery where that made sense to do it. Um, we're also looking at opportunities for on-site renewable energy and putting in office-specific plans for reducing emissions and switching to renewable energy for, um, you know, as far as we can through PPAs or, or other um, arrangements. So in the UK, all our electricity is Rego certified renewable electricity. And that's great. But actually, we need to do that all around the world. So we've got to work out how to do that. I think I think in most of the countries, it's going to be possible to do that. Um, but we're looking at talking to organisations like RE100 to, to bring in the best practice approaches to that. And then there'll be inevitably some offsetting at the end of that. And that would obviously have to be through a recognised high quality mechanism. And we also then need to disclose performance in a recognised way and um, make sure that's verifiable and that we into our next year's sustainability report and annual report 
So it's a kind of following a hierarchy approach. I think the, the World GBC framework is a good one in that it sets out the logic and then you show your workings and it's through disclosure that you expect um, scrutiny and verification and greater levels of confidence and understanding of what it actually takes. And then we will set targets for year on year improvement. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned offsetting actually. I think when when net zero and net zero targets really kind of took off um, post IPCC, post CC advice to, to the government's own net zero target, um, a lot of businesses kind of really rush to kind of say yes we, we've got this net zero commitment which is obviously welcome and i think some of them certainly ones in probably the more kind of carbon heavy industries perhaps are haven't quite mapped out what their net zero strategy looks like and it seems from an outside looking in that there's perhaps an overt reliance on offsets more so than reductions sounds like um but apple's definitely got that that hierarchy that you mentioned in the right way and it's reductions first and, and foremost but um I think offsets, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on offsets. They're, they're starting to get vilified a little bit as, as you know, an excuse for business as usual. But some people I've spoken to say that actually they do have their, their place in a net zero strategy. I think, I think they are they're right down the bottom of the hierarchy. So I think as long as you're clear on how you've reached, how you've reached your net zero carbon target and you show your workings and it's verifiable and it's robust, then I think that's the great starting point. Putting a price on carbon at least creates some financial incentive. You know, if you're if you're spending uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds on offsetting, well, that that focuses the mind somewhat. So there is some benefit, and I, I believe that as long as you are using the right mechanisms and the right accreditation schemes, it has some has some merit. But it is a, it is a complex world, and we we know there's lots of different offsetting arrangements. You know, from gold standard through to VAR plus. We, we know that there's a difference between international offsets and local offsets, and the international carbon pricing varies quite dramatically from the EU emissions trading scheme at one end through to local London borough offsetting carbon prices, which may be you know, five or ten times greater, but deliver all sorts of social benefit. And there's all sorts of uh, complexity around additionality as well, and whether it's, you know, are we really looking for additionality or you know, attribution or contribution? I think... The UK construction industry is not as alive to all of those issues as perhaps the carbon, um, mm-hmm. the kind of carbon climate change scene has, has been used to over the last ten years or so. But I think there's a recognition that ultimately we've got to wean ourselves off fossil fuels and we've got to uh, see the offsetting reduce because you know, at the end of the day we've got one world and there's arguments to say that eventually we've got to get to absolute zero anyway. So. Um, I think it has its place, and again, it comes back to that evidence-based, logical, kind of engineering mindset that says, "Well, dis- you know, disclose your workings, be open about where you are, and um, that builds confidence." No, that's that's definitely true. And, and do you think? Uh, apologies to go back to the coronavirus conversation again, but I mean, obviously, production and then the economy is a bit of a standstill. And we we saw the kind of financial crash of almost twelve years ago that the the kind of reflation packages focus more on productivity and production and less so on on the the climate and greener aspects as well do you, do you think that i mean your sector seems quite tuned into the climate sphere but is, is there a danger that perhaps um production ramps up without an account for for climate change at the heart of it i think there's a difference between last time and this time i think there's a greater awareness now of the need for forward planning for a healthy, resilient future um, and the value 
of health, of community, of the circular economy and local food production. You know, things that people saw as rather esoteric actually suddenly hitting home in the current situation. So uh, no doubt there will be different views of what the future should hold, but there is a rapidly gaining uh, sort of momentum around the idea of a green recovery and that we must, uh, against the backdrop of a current public health an economic emergency. We absolutely mustn't lose sight of the climate emergency and the biodiversity emergency that are many orders of magnitude greater and there's an urgent imperative to address those at the same time. And in fact, you know, if you really think about it, um, you know, who wouldn't want clean air and clean energy and green jobs? Those are exactly the kind of industries that we should be supporting and nurturing and developing and what better moment to do it than when you might have some major government intervention so there's a there's a narrative building around that and i think there's going to be some key moments when the industry needs to feed into to government thinking you know to the committee on climate change report to government in the summer we've got cop um some point next year and i don't think um i don't think we can take our iri off the ball and actually if you can align those two narratives then it will pay long-term dividends yeah, I can. I completely agree. I actually spoke to um, Chris Stark from from the CCC uh, yesterday, and he he was, you know, he was he was saying exactly the same stuff about this kind of green and resilient recovery, and um, and I think the UK's got a lot of building blocks in place to to be able to do that. Um, and and back to your uh your own net zero strategy, then you, you touched on a lot of the the technology and feasibility studies you're doing around them already. But are, are there any, I suppose, any kind of uh, technological advancements that you're waiting on that are really going to help the net zero target that perhaps just aren't, aren't quite ready yet? I, I suppose I'm asking what the main challenges to, to your net zero target are right now. I think for, for our own operations, I think we know what we're doing. I think that's that's pretty clear. You know, we, We're gathering data, lots and lots of data on the operation of our own buildings, our own operations. We're dashboarding all our buildings on um, on an online platform we you know we're using data analytics to understand how we can uh, reduce the consumption of energy in buildings and simultaneously improve the productivity of the people in those buildings I think for our projects which is the other other key commitment we had around targeting net zero in operation for all our new build projects that we're doing as design projects or consultancy projects we're investing heavily in computation machine learning, digital engineering, all those kind of things to enable rapid prototyping of options and, and find solutions to these really ambitious targets. And it's not just the operational energy, but also reducing the embodied carbon. Uh, we really recently did a carbon footprint from major mixed-use development that we're working on in London. And over a 60-year period, the carbon footprint is about a million tonnes of CO2, of which three quarters was the embodied carbon in construction, which is just astonishing. Mm. So the reality is that construction and development are actually currently very carbon intensive industries so we've got to find new solutions including lean engineering better products um, as well as reusing buildings so uh, there's a kind of um, yeah investment in in the power of machine learning and AI to find better faster smarter ways of delivering the environment that we want and and then also coupling that with uh, better ways of thinking about the whole system and feeding that into our consultancy thinking as well because you know, our clients have got some very rich, complex challenges ahead 
Um, we're doing climate resilience planning for cities, for example, and they're having to think about overheating, flood risk, water stress, food security, pest and disease, you know, all at the same time hmm. at a large scale against, you know, against a number of future scenarios. And that is big, rich, complex, knotty stuff to resolve. Um, and you're only going to do that if you find ways of developing breakthrough strategies, which requires something a little bit different. Yeah, I feel like resiliency is... is kind of climbing up the, the corporate agenda quite quickly. Um, I think it was starting to before um, the coronavirus anyway, with especially with the, the flooding that we, we saw at the, the start of the year. And I, I think climate resiliency and, and it has to be part of a net zero strategy going forward because you can kind of decarbonise yourself, but that's not accounting for the industries and businesses that, that won't. Uh, that's right, yeah. It's kind of net zero plus. It's net mm. positive, isn't it? Net positive on the number of... Spheres. I think that's the bright, optimistic future that we want to create. Well, and it's always good to have that bright, optimistic future to, to, to push it forwards as well. And I suppose um, my my last question then is is looking, you know, at, at this near term future, the 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 year you've got to kind of reach net zero. What's what's going to be the the focus for the rest of this year? I mean, that's quite a tough question considering how uncertain everything is right now. But I'm guessing there's a few areas of focus that you'll be able to kind of forge ahead on. Yeah. That's- I mean, there's a lot of work to do still. Um, so we've we developed a, a dashboard so we can um, look at all our own buildings as well as our, our client buildings all in one place, which is great. We're doing a target setting right now. We're also thinking about the, the business mechanisms as well to, to drive change. So, you know, sustained change around business travel, different ways of working. Um, we've got to put in place uh, a kind of global... Uh, PPA or equivalent on renewable energy and we've got to find the right offsetting mechanism that really you know, delivers the value that we want so um, lots of work to do we know what we're doing we've got the team mobilized we've got the organization mobilized and actually it's quite a quite a cathartic thing to do when you kind of get your own house in order you see all the opportunities for your collaborators and your clients as well so we're looking forward to it great stuff well Duncan I don't want to keep you too much longer um, I appreciate it is is extremely busy times and and you know that um, I've already taken a fair chunk out of your day so I'll I'll let you go on the rest of your day I'll let you tell your neighbour that he's he's fine to carry on um, with his with his uh, construction I'm sure you're giving him some best practice uh, advice on that as well but it's been a, it's been a pleasure speaking to you that's an absolute delight thank you very much indeed and good luck with your other conversations so there we have it. Confirmation that the net zero transition does not stop for the coronavirus, and I'm sure we'll be keeping in touch with Duncan uh, Amber Happold on that net zero target going forward. Given the need to align to climate science, it's unsurprising that many new businesses are kind of cropping up with their own net zero uh, strategies as we accelerate towards the ambitions of the Paris Agreement. Uh, And to summarise, I'm going to be bringing you our News in Brief segment, where we pull out three of the top stories related to net zero. So first up, uh, and indeed the most recent announcement, is the unveiling of a net zero emissions target from engineering firm Jacobs. Uh, Jacobs' climate action plan commits the company to achieving and maintaining 100% renewable energy use and reaching net zero emissions across operations and business travel by the end of the year. And then from 2021 onwards, Jacobs will be will target carbon negative status, sorry, by 2030 for its operations and business travel. Uh, We've already reached out to Jacobs actually to get them as one of the speakers uh, for one of our upcoming Net Zero episodes because um, much like Bro Happold, that's a very short time frame to to transition to Net Zero. So hopefully we'll have more uh, information to bring you on that shortly. Uh, 
following on from that and also announced this week, uh, UK law firm CMS UK has set science-based targets to reduce emissions by 30% by 2025 and then by 50% by 2030 across operational and supply chain emissions as part of a net zero target for 2025. Uh, The firm has confirmed it will offset remaining emissions to reach net zero, but it's already exploring going beyond net zero uh, and indeed addressing its historical carbon debts. Also this week, I spoke to the Committee on Climate Change's Chief Executive Chris Stark on whether he felt a green recovery from the coronavirus economic crash could spur action on net zero. Uh, I implore you to go and check out the article on the ED website. Just just search Chris Stark in the, in the search bar and it should pop up. But here's a pull-out quote from that interview from Chris. We're going to have to think much more carefully about a just transition and shift in employment from high carbon to low carbon practices in a way that protects the people who work in those industries. Net zero offers that transition, but it is the role of government to help those industries and ensure the transition takes place in a fair and well-managed way. And of course, we couldn't have a podcast episode this week without mentioning Earth Day. Uh, While not specifically tied to net zero, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day took place this Wednesday and gathered millions around the world to celebrate environmental stewardship and our planet in part of a mass 24-hour virtual set of events. Uh, And although it's always worth pointing out that Earth Day isn't just a day, it is in fact an entire movement. So that just about wraps up this episode. Uh, Net Zero is going to be a prominent theme for ED uh, next month. Between Tuesday the 19th and Thursday the 21st of May, we'll be hosting uh, the Net Zero Live event, a kind of three-day online event for sustainability professionals, outlining best practice and advice on transitioning to net zero energy, carbon and resources. Uh, We've got around nine panel sessions uh, running virtually across those three days for speakers to be announced shortly. It's free to register and sign up uh, to those. Just visit ed.net forward slash webinars and choose the ones that are most relevant to you and your organization. And we'll also be back with an extended Net Zero Business podcast special that week. So do be on the lookout for announcements about that. As always, if you have a net zero announcement, we'd love to hear from you. So do email newsdesk at fav-house.com and uh, have net zero business podcast as the subject line. Um, And as always, we'll be rounding up all the key announcements and we'll be back with the Sustainable Business Covered podcast, um, which is also available to download via iTunes and Spotify. So there's a lot still going on despite the coronavirus pandemic at ED, and we'd love for you to uh, come along for the ride. I'll be back during that Net Zero Live week, and until then, it's goodbye.